Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsbirth.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. <laughs> that with the always in the perfect spot there you go <laughs> i was just saying to bren there guys that my room that i'm in is really really small like i don't even have to soundproof it i don't have to do anything i think the sound is pretty good but people think it's like uh you know it's, a, it's the box room in the house but i've tried to be in a few different rooms not that i have many spare rooms in my house but it never sounds as good as being in here so uh i like mm. my little i like my little cozy cave and the kids know not to go in when the sock is hanging off the door handle so, uh, yeah, anyway, how are you getting on, Brent? All good? Oh, do you know what? I feel comfort of seeing Rach Mack right at the top. Oh, she's okay. always That's first just, of the traps. You know. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So, oh, lots lots of stuff. But I, I was so itching as well because I've had some uh, great time at the um, health optimization thing. So Ooh. all sorts of stuff uh, looking at um, peptides and... Um, these new um, peptide um, biomarkers and things that, that actually are going to uh, change how we look at medicine and, and what we're doing, change things. You know, even down to there's a, an eye peptide that's uh, being used for humans, also um, being made for dogs to actually correct um, where we've got retinal atrophies going on and actually... Uh, show some amazing um, changes to uh, the retinas of um, people, but also of dogs, um, just by applying eye drops. Uh, just amazing, you know, this sort of uh, where you've got, I don't know whether you can see these pictures, sort of. Maybe so when you start with, so these pale patches yeah. being really retinal atrophy and, and degradation, and then yeah. after wow. a few weeks of treating with the uh, peptide, you suddenly just get regression of that um, wow. that problem. So some, uh, just uh, from that to skincare to um, mental health to longevity, uh, just uh, just so many things uh, to go into from there. I showed briefly some of the dried organ stuff. You know, just people were asking about the product. I love the name of the company, which is No BS. Okay, nice. Um, uh, but I'd say that's yeah, the only bit of the cow they don't sell. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Probably they do. Um, uh, there's great things like super healthy coffee. Um, I picked up uh, just because they look at all of the um, mold markers and things like that, just to stop you know that getting into their product. Um, they look at how they roast it, all of the levels of pesticides and things like that that are being used on on the coffees. Cool. So they filter all of that out, uh, just all the way through to something that we talked about for ages. And actually, one of the questions tonight was about using some of the collagens in their own food. And I'm just, you know, I've got so many things in my office around me. Um, but looking at hydrolyzed collagens and somebody was asking they use it for themselves can they use it for the dog and i would say 
absolutely uh, just as with bone broth you can sprinkle it into the food you can put it into um, the bone broth even if you want to fortify that you can use it as extra fiber lots and lots of stuff some brilliant new products from the mushroom um, side of things a uh, classic company called Dirty, so D-I-R-T-E-A, um, which do a huge mushroom range uh, for humans that they can be used for animals too. Uh, just, and the list goes on. So I was really you know, buzzing yeah, for the yeah. last week. I've you know, got so many things to think about and, uh, and bring to people. But we've got some brilliant questions tonight yeah uh, we do. but before we get to that and your weekend how have you been what have you been up to come on Elaine's been away for seven days so um all family related not a whole lot I'm plowing into two uh just incredibly uh, incredibly um interesting books I, I pushed the last one last week I think that was the moth and the iron lung and I talked about it on my Facebook yeah. page check I'm it gonna, out I want to ask you a little bit tonight you've got to oh, talk so a little bit about that there's just because, so many yeah. massive like even these following statements like we think it's all about to do with the polio virus which is a, t- a tiny piece of the puzzle but they'd say like you know of 900 people with polio myelitis which is really just a grain of the myelin sheath around your neurons it doesn't say why it happened it's kind of like say dermatitis uh, so polio myelitis only a third of them had the polio virus. So as soon as I hear something like that, I go, well, that's a massive problem. That's a, that shouldn't be the case. So the whole definition, you know, when they go through the guys that set up this, if, if for it to be a disease or caused by this, it can't have examples where it's not in, involved or, you know. And uh, how the guy teases out the book, it lays it out like a detective no- novel. And then, you know, the timeline of everything. And it's, it's just so incredible. And why it only affects children. You know, um, so how come all other animals came down at the same time in the same little villages where it was happening, but not in the cities? If it was a if it was a gut disease, it'd be prevalent in the cities and not in the suburbs. He goes through all of it, so halfway through, you're just itching, going, "Oh my god, what is it?" So that book was brilliant. We're doing Q and A tonight without Nick. Nick is off gallivanting at some uh, regen. Festival, Groundswell. 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 There you I'm go. Really of course, no. it's a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he loves it. So uh, it's just me and Bren. So um, Bren, uh, I have a number of questions. Karen, kindly. Karen's mad into the teas you just mentioned there. The mushroom teas. She gets this pack of really fancy teas, and she's mad into the gym. And she said it's a turbocharge when you drink these things. So I'm going to give them a go. There must be something to it because everyone's talking about it. Did you get the name of a company? Uh, so Dirty is the one that yeah. Is that mm, all mushroom yeah, yeah. based? Does it? Yeah, yeah, it's a, a yeah, very much mushroom based. Uh, they actually have one of the chefs of um, Master Chef from about four or five years ago who went through a whole sort of health life crisis thing himself and actually got into biohacking and improving health through nutrition and um, supplements. Uh, on their team of actually producing some of their products so uh, met up with him uh, absolutely cool. amazing uh, stuff uh, so yeah look look into them as a company uh say hi and just sort of like from a point of view of um you know i don't get any commission there's nothing other than saying yeah i know who he is there'll be nothing back for us guys but it is something that yeah you really look into tasted a number of theirs at the conference uh brilliant Absolutely nice. Brilliant. I'd say you're buzzing at the yeah. end. Um, so, guys, look, I have I have a number of questions, Bren, and at least half of them are veterinary related. Um, where will we go? <laughs> this this first? feels like us blasting back to April when we sort of like went through. <laughs> shit yeah. yeah, it does. Uh, we're gonna, oh, we're I'll be flexing my brain, ready for this. 
Will we start with a boiled one? How about that? Go on then. Go on um, then. Let me let me uh, hide some of these. Get us into um, stop the distractions. I can hide this as well. We don't. Di- need that. Diana Costa. Diana Costa. She's a she's a fan. Um, these questions are off Patreon. Uh, we'll try to get to those first because uh, you know it's it's only kind of fair. Uh, uh, my Frenchie was put on Urso Falk. U or S O F A L K for elevated liver enzymes. It's like a bile, uh, bile acid type replacement. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's um, right. Why does Aladdin notice that his GERD like uh, off and on symptoms completely disappeared? Mm-hmm. Um, so gastrointestinal reflux disease. So that's the reflux, that's the uh, which, yeah. which we mentioned before. Um, that th- they disappeared when he went on to this uh, gastroesophageal boil. reflux disease. Yeah. Okay, gastroesophageal. Okay, of course, because it's going up that way. Yes. Um, it's only because so, the Americans do it with an E, not an O. Anyway. Ah, interesting. Very good. Uh, that's what put me off. Very good, yeah. Now that uh, now that he sometimes has the symptoms again, should I supplement him again with ox bile enzymes? And I thought, ox bile? Is that where it comes from? Um, does it mean he doesn't produce... Does this mean he doesn't produce enough bile if the medicine works? So I got Googling ox bile. And uh, my God, it's so interesting. It does so many different things. Um and if you're deficient in it, it's not something you want to be deficient in. So where are we with all this, Bren? If it helps to get rid of the symptoms, does that suggest that's what the issue is? It can have all sorts of benefits in increasing the absorption of certain nutrients as well. And therefore, if there are inflammatory processes that's going on. Uh, so look, the, the basics of bile. Uh, the body produces bile from the liver it ejects into the small intestine around the same area as the enzymes from the pancreas. Um, um, And when the fluid from the stomach comes through into the intestine, that's where it mixes with those. Now, it will uh, reduce the acidity of that um, uh, at that point. Those bile acids, although that acids will actually neutralize um, those the acid from the stomach allow the enzymes to be more active as far as the pancreas is concerned, but actually then creates these little surroundings which become lipophilic um, around nutrients, which means that they can be absorbed through the intestinal membrane ah. much more readily. Okay, that will have a number of benefits as I've just allocated there. One, um, you know, how it changes the acidity of the small intestine. Um, how it allows absorption of various nutrients, especially some of the um, fat-soluble ones. A, D, E, K, omega-3s. And that can have, in its own right, improvements to the health of the small intestine. Okay. Okay. And reduction in inflammation. So, look, if if you see something like that that benefits your dog in that way, there are probably some issues with regards to... um, uh, the liver itself and what it's naturally managing to output and by you subsidizing that with a um, an artificial bile then um you know as in a supplement then that can massively help and for it it's certainly there but you may want to consider adding other things to further support the liver okay um so some of those wonderful things we talked about milk thistle at ad nauseum in, in herbal medicine but there are you know, similar tinctures that you can use, you can mix with chelidonium um, and you can mix with um, teraxacum, that's the, the um, uh, dandelion, 
sort of extracts, uh, they can all be really useful um, alongside Cardius marianus, which is milk thistle. So what is what is this cause of this GERD? I mean, what what when you hear GERD, Bren, where does your mind go? When you hear gastroesophageal reflux, where does your mind go to as to like what do you think is going on? I immediately start to think of um, issues with chronic inflammatory um, gut disease, including leaky gut. Okay, because of inappropriate uh, foods, often they are um, carbohydrate rich, and if they're full of lectins, uh, things like that, that can actually increase the leakiness of the gut. Um, anything that's got, you know, if it's highly processed foods, you know, all of those processed agents that are in there, acrylamides, etc., will also add to that load um, all the way through to if we've been slightly misled into where they've come from, you know, the glyphosate and things like that hidden within the foods because mm. they're not broken down. Mycotoxins, so slightly moldy foods, yeah. you know, all of those sort of things. I'm thinking about all of that in an inflammatory process. Yeah. Um, it, you know, some people will see it rear its head as pancreatitis. Some people will see it rear its head as um, hepatitis. Some people will see it rear its head as IBD. IBS. Um, uh, and IBS, well, IBS, I always think of IBS as the one that's really influenced by the mental stressors. Okay, and IBD being the physical the inflammatory stresses. Uh, we know, obviously, there is a two-way street in that because mental stress can be aggravated. So there's sort of anxiety following IBD um, because of that two-way pathway up and down the, yeah. um, the vagal nerve. Uh, you've talked about, um, uh, you know, uh, before as well. So I think it's worth uh, just yeah. remembering that. So, that's, so whenever I hear good... I yeah. always think about that there's a chronic inflammatory disease. People say, oh, it must be at the cardiac sphincter of the stomach because it's all about reflux and coming out. But actually, I think of it as, no, it's inflammation in the upper end of the intestines. And that is causing a, a lack of um, the, it's almost like a spasm of the pyloric sphincter, the lower end of the stomach. Okay, because of the irritation, and therefore there's it's harder to get the stuff to empty from the stomach, and therefore, as the stomach's trying to empty, it's easier to pump it sometimes accidentally back out through wow. the cardiac swing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Linda Romano here. Uh, that was um, okay. Let's go. So, um, Linda Romano had a had a hair hair and tissue analysis, and she detected really high levels of strontium. Okay, so. Not a mineral that you would talk too much about, but, uh, you know, anyway. Uh, 1.08, where the level is uh, ideally between 0.0 and 0.36. So 1.08, or three times over what you should be. That's quite and a high level. And if somebody talks about strontium, I always think about the radioactive... Isotope. Oh, so do, that's where everybody goes straight away. Yeah, I go to radioactive seaweed, and I go, oh, God, is she on Canny Dent? Um, so Brina is raw-fed, okay? No monthly heartworm, flea prevention. She's ticking all the boxes. I don't use chemicals on my lawn. She does have idiopathic epilepsy intakes, phenobarbital and Keppra, and she's contacted the companies. There's no strontium in those products. Um, but could those products, so part one is for you, Bren, um, because I've Googled the second answer. Um, could they prevent her body, could these drugs, epilepsy drugs, prevent her body from elimin eliminating strontium in her diet? Or part B, is she getting them from her environment somewhere, which I possibly have an answer for. But what about uh, the drugs uh, reducing your ability to eliminate some problem metals? Before we even go there, 
many of the hair tests, so I need to know, is this a bioresonance test? Okay, yeah. because if this is a bioresonance test, as with homeopathy, as with, uh, I don't even know whether I've got my book to hand, um, but um, we will often reflect on, yeah, I always have something, so well-used homeopathic uh, materia medica. Yeah. So basically in here, uh, if I was to look up strontium, it will come up with um, the symptoms of too much strontium, so what your body does uh, with that, so whether we homeopathically prove it or you get a toxicity, etc. That gives a symptom picture. Now, for some people, they're resonant with that symptom picture. They will respond really well to that remedy, okay? So with that in mind, bioresonance is effectively reading a sample to see whether your animal is resonant with certain frequencies. Mm -hmm. This is why sometimes bioresonance things get misread, okay? People will assume that it's to do with um, a toxicity, a an excess, uh, a concentration, an issue with it. But actually, it could be they need that as a remedy. Ooh. And actually, so it may be nothing to do with you need to eliminate it, but you may need one of the strontium remedies uh, for your pet that's had that test. And therefore, that is your answer. Now, many of the bioresonance machines can create a remedy from your sample and ask them to stop the blurb, stop talking about it, okay, as to what their interpretation is, and to actually make a remedy from the sample you've sent to them. Ooh. Try that first. See where you get. Don't get tied up with, oh, my dog is being toxically attacked by the environment, food, whatever's gone on. Um, I do that first, and then we can start to talk about the complexities of pathways of certain metals, etc., getting into and um, substances getting into the body through toxicities and how to detox those if necessary or, or bind them out. So it's then all about chelating minerals that would bind to that and allow you to not absorb it, but to pass it out. Interesting. Okay, that's got a different way. I just went straight for the obvious going, okay, I'm going to trust this hair analysis, even though I tested that hair analysis out before and I got hair samples from the same dog, from the same part of the dog, and I posted them off and just labeled them as different dogs. And the read, readings were just completely different for each dog. Completely different. It wasn't even like a ah, slight bit of concentration I could forgive. It was unforgivably different. Um, I've got the image of the of the two on my site. So I just fell out of love with it completely. I'm sure there's a value to it. Um, because, you know, people that I trust swear by some of the things that it can do. But as regards uh, trust... I unfortunately think, having seen the machines at work and seen yeah. the accuracy that they can be at, my feeling is often it's down to human user abuse. Okay. And I, I was going to say error, but I think actually some to some degree, the human nature is they want to earn their 30 bucks, okay? And in order to do that, they're going to create a narrative that they think you want to hear. Yeah, uh, that's the risk, no doubt. Um, so I went down the route of, what is strontium? And I knew salt is a, is a form of strontium. It's one of the maybe 80 minerals that's out. Where's the image you got? I just called my wrong screen. 
And uh, so anyway, I, I went, look, yeah, rock salt, Himalayan pink, pink salt, all those salts uh, can have a, a, are somewhat for, um, a source of strontium, but lots of things contain strontium and particularly vegetable plant matter, spinach, lettuce, carrots, peas, beans, potatoes, celery, wheat and barley, top of the top 10. Uh, and in the meat sector, seafood, because sea is the, is the, is the one where you think it might be circulating. So any sort of seafood going in and the smaller the plankton feeder, the more likely you are to be higher in strontium. But then a really interesting line from, a, from one of the websites, uh, a study here shows that 99% of the strontium in the human body is concentrated in the bones. And I thought, aha, you're a raw feeder, you're feeding 10, 20% bone content to your dog, and strontium resides in the bones of them. And I thought, wow, okay. So then I went Googling and I thought, okay, is it that intensively reared meat is higher in strontium because the animals are potentially not treated as well and fed, you know, grains and all sorts of crap and possibly use a few chemicals to keep them going and all sorts of stuff because i'm not quite sure where the source of strontium is but strontium loves the soil that's where strontium lives so actually uh, grass-fed cattle are, are and i imagine grass-fed cattle bones or lamb bones or outdoor reared meat bones is a very high source of strontium so there you go it mightn't be such a negative thing as you were saying what is this normal for a dog who who says now, don't forget what you're feeding today is completely alien to the levels that they have for everything. Everything. We know that, you know, protein levels in the blood. So I thought, yeah, how much strontium is supposed to be in these dogs that are eating lots of carcass? Because some dogs can eat a lot of carcass. So, uh, yeah, that was just my, my tuppence worth. But uh, very interesting, Brian. Let's move on. Have you got one, Brian? Yeah. Do you want me to keep going? No, keep going. Keep going. You've okay. got a list. I think Let's, you've got the... Uh, I think this is a yes or no answer here. Can someone who is taking chemo treatments for cancer, human taking chemo treatments for cancer, affect their dogs? Uh, in particular, could it make a male dog go sterile? Could it make a human go sterile? Um, so the human's taking the chemotherapeutic yeah. agent. And she's and worried they're that worried she's about affected our dog's uh, fertility. Fertility. Wow. Um, yeah. We, look, how you excrete chemotherapeutic agents is obviously something to be aware of. Uh, we're acutely aware of um, all sorts of things coming through in our sewerage from people, what they're taking from even the, the hormonal, um, uh, you know, the, the birth control pill, yeah. um, you know, the influence of that on uh, what's coming through in our waterways and, and how that's affecting wildlife. Um, just in, in, you know, we're talking super microdoses that you'd be perceiving of that. And actually, there are all sorts of possibilities we'd need to know more about the specific drugs that you're being given um, but we know for breast cancer they certainly do use certain hormonal drugs and that would affect if your dog is um, in close contact uh, with you and you're excreting some of those drugs not just in your urine but in mm. um, your sweat and um, you know your other influence there um, that yes that could affect a male dog's hormone just as me taking a female hormone replacement um, could do the same. Somebody's asked, actually, talking about hormonal influence, about um, ovarian sparing spays, and if their vet has to do a full spay, i.e. they back out all of a sudden and decide to give a full spay, can dogs have HRT? Yes, they can. Um, yes, it is something that would be classed as experimental because there's not a lot of work being done on that but there are things like incurin which is a 
um, an estrogen that can be given in those circumstances. Okay, but that's an aside. So coming back to your question, yes, of course, um, some of the cytotoxic drugs that you're taking for cancer therapy, again, will be cytotoxic against the multiplying cells. And semen is made, you know, the sperm cells are made from tissues which are multiplying at a massive rate, okay? And so if mm. you give a cytotoxic drug that will inhibit that multiplication, then of course, the fertility of your dog is also going to be affected. And it may be that, again, it's super small doses uh, that you don't even recognize would be a problem, but that actually, you know, your you know, doctors are just saying, don't worry, you know, wash it off. It'll go down in the sink. It'll be not a problem. But if your dog is licking your skin surfaces, you sweat, yeah. um, you know, all of those sort of things, they may be picking up small doses of, of the chemotherapeutic agent. Um, should we try to get two more done? Let's see. Yeah, um, at least. <laughs> I think we should rapid fire the next Yeah, okay. I get too enthusiastic about them. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, Rach Max says, the raw holistic movement is uh, continuing to grow, which is great. The worrying thing is that a lot of people are cashing in on the movement, which means there are many so-called professionals in inverted commas with little experience, no qualifications, but charging for their advice, which could be uh, questionable and at times dangerous. How do you feel we can protect the community and grow better? Uh, how can we protect the community from people who aren't as qualified as they make it? What regulations do you guys feel are needed? It's a tricky one. Wow, it is. I mean, look, I do, I absolutely do see people getting, going online, getting themselves a little certificate that they can print off on a wall. Is that one back there behind you? I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the back of a cornflakes box. <laughs> Sorry, God, I couldn't resist. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay, brother. Uh, I can take it. So, <laughs> see, I don't have any. That's the you don't point. Have any. That's it. <laughs> I have. A, um, I have look, a, yeah, go on. It, it's really important that actually it's not necessarily just about the subject they're studying, and I totally get if you get a diploma about nutrition. You know, it's not just about nutrition. Um, you know, as Rita said, you know, overregulation can impede um, the all of the um, progress in herbal medicine and homeopathy um, because it's often led then by um, you know pharmaceutical drug companies sort of paying for qualification stuff and then trying to influence regulation and money comes into it. We don't really want that, but I get, if you're studying about nutrition and nutrients and looking at FEDIAF as your gold standard and, and AFCO and, and that side of things, it sort of takes away from those people that actually have a true understanding of the whole body system and the physiology and anatomy and, and the medicine side of things. But at the same time, I see just as many, you know, really, you know, um, highly thought of vets lose that holistic view when they get into nutrition and it's almost like no you shall go down the method of what I'm saying and it's almost like they're losing the sight of the patient and the yeah. individual needs and requirements and they're trying to produce a, a nutrition that should feed all and the non-vet mightn't be uh, burdened by that approach yeah. 
they might be more yeah. open because open to other they things. didn't have so, the pharmacological background. Yeah, so I sort of really agree with Rita. Look, there's, there's a route here that we need to try and impress upon people that if you're qualified in one aspect, be really careful that you're not trying to then eulogize about just that one aspect or indeed suppose that you know everything about everything else. And there is nothing like looking at the history of that person's ability to influence health of the patients underneath their care. Um, so ask for references and that's references of people that they've treated other pets that they've treated, um, you know, as examples of, you know, their advice. Yeah, I think uh, Katie says of the local raw food nutritionista here, I like that, that everybody recommends culture qualifications as Connor's courses. Ooh, that's a, that's a, <laughs> I shouldn't be talking down my own courses, but I don't have a course on, uh, you know, canine nutrition, you know, like it, it, it's such an enormous subject, nutrition. I mean, you spend years and years and years and years studying. It's just, you're just touching the sides of it. And so, courses uh, is one thing, isn't it? Courses is, is you know, learning is what we all do. I yeah. love to learn. I, I believe it or not, I do learn off Connor. Um, I believe I learn off Nick. I learn off. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think that we all should be learning and doing yeah. these courses. But qualification is actually when somebody's coming into that, looking at the end results of the knowledge and testing that against, you know, a, a format that can then say be stamped as a certain level of understanding. And unless you've got, you know, a lot of backing of um, academic um, uh, universities or something like that, it's doing that sort of checking, that yeah. quality control of the qualification, um, then you've got to say, no, I've done a course, but I've actually not had my understanding yeah. of knowledge tested. That is a big problem because I was just going to say, so like whatever we're doing online courses, we all do them. I do them. Everyone's got something to, to teach and the courses are brilliant. I'm just saying that like, you know, I would not have a course saying, you know, it, it would be impossibly big. You know, look at the book I tried to write and it's this enormous thing. And even then you're not learning about canine. You're not learning about like, you know, the intricacies of nutrition. It's just, it's just, it's, you're touching the sides of it. Anyway, that was my point about the courses. So obviously I totally back courses. And there are some courses out there that are great that I would have stood over until recently. Uh, really, like you know, people ask you all the time, what kind of nutrition courses can we do? And there's very little I can recommend. I don't really know any out there that I like, you know, gun ho. I've read the whole course and I've gone through it and I love it because I just don't go through them myself. So I don't know. It needs to be a little bit long as well. I mean, it, it needs to be a bit of an undertaking. So it's like not my two hour courses. For you. It needs to be like, you know, half a year, a year, you know, to get your kind of bearings with with some of the more kind of, I don't know, the background is just so important. Anyway, look, that's my tuppence worth. I don't think you can control it too easily because anyone's a nutritionist. It's not a word that's controlled. Your mum's a nutritionist uh, and probably a better nutritionist than most of us, let's face it, because our diet's gone so bad. Um, and so... Because they yeah, managed to rear us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It's going to be, it's very hard to control. I think very soon there will be really high quality uh, nutritional courses coming out. There will be masters at some stage coming out from a college that will be uh you know talking about real food as opposed to coming out talking about people so there will be a master's in nutrition there'll be a master's in natural health these things will come out and they'll probably require some sort of three-year four-year degree in science to do it first or something of the equivalent 
But uh, basic canine nutrition courses, it's very hard to stand over. But I haven't looked into them myself, so I, I can't say. I... So, Connor, you know we were about to say we were going to do rapid fire through the <sighs> next few. Okay, <laughs> let's, do, let's, do, let's do two more questions and try doing 10 seconds on each one, okay? Uh, okay. Um, so, hey, guys, we've got a lot of cherry trees where we live. The birds and squirrels are constantly dropping seeds in our garden, and my dog will have one or two here and there. It's never a lot, but would you be worried about them consuming too much cyanide? Uh, could this be a form of self-medication? Question marks. Very interesting. He otherwise has little to no interest in eating the actual fruit. So my advice is really unlikely. So cherry stones, so small, they're likely to go through without any problem at all. Only if they're crunching the stone and releasing. So the cyanide um, lines the seed which is within the stone um, and therefore unless they actually crack into that, and this is the same with a lot of the stone fruits that are out there, including apricots and um, uh, peaches and things like that. So unless they actually get inside that stone, the cyanide has some great antibacterial properties and stuff like that, but they have to open that up and be able to ingest quite a bit in order to actually get toxic from it, okay? Yeah. My, uh, so if they were grinding them up, bigger issue, as they are, especially for, now this is not for the bigger stone fruits, but for cherry stones, God, I remember as a child eating them whole. I never used to spit the pips out. What? And people used to say, oh my God, why, you'll get appendicitis. You oh, because, you know, why bother? Because they're hard. Why do you have all the mess? It's just... With teeth. <laughs> Oh, no. I like spitting them out and, and then you just swallow the whole thing. It's I, like aim, I like aiming for things. I once hit I'm a bee. I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah, no teeth, mind you. They're all wooden. Um, so here's the, here's some of the here's some of the stats on the uh, amygdalin. Uh, amygdalin is the kind of uh, the stuff you're worried about here. It leads to the formation of hydrogen cyanide inside the body. So uh, the red cherries has four milligrams of amygdalin per seed. So that's the red cherries you're talking about. The ones that you're really worried about in cherry pit world is Morello cherries, and they have 65 milligrams. So four versus 65 milligrams of this amygdala. So Morello cherries are the worrying one, and studies show you need to eat about seven to nine of the pits of a Morello cherry tree, which is probably not the ones you're talking about, to lay you out. So there's lots of studies. Ground up. Ground up, Exactly. So you're talking about having been unfortunately if you if you said it was a Morello cherry tree, you go, ooh, that's but like you don't need a whole lot of those pits ground up to to lay you out. But the normal red cherry pit has uh 13, 14 times less, which means 14 by seven, which is like, you know, uh okay, a hundred cherry pits to lay out a human. So I think average red cherry trees, probably not that scary, particularly if they're not grinding them. Uh probably medicinal. Right, uh, should we just boot over to Patreon and do two over there? Uh, and uh, the, uh, the next one is, um, I know nothing about this, uh, do different blood groups uh, have a propensity for different diseases? Oh, that's a gem. Do you know anything about that, Brennan? We'll just ask you something else. You can uh, tell me when you go Yeah. I've got 20 seconds to Google. To, yeah, no, because smart. we know about sickle cell anemia. And that's certain blood groups are more predisposed to sickle cell anemia. Ooh, but that'll do. That's an edge. I anyway. love you. Guys, thanks very much. Patreon.com forward slash Wallpetmedics. We really appreciate your help there. If you can, great. And if not, we will be back next week. See you All right, so week. great. Thanks very much, guys. See you over on Patreon. Cheers. Take care. <laughs>